the, the face of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 this evening. Hebrews chapter 12. So the last several weeks we've been looking at the disciplines that are necessary in the pursuit of holiness. And uh, we've been working through this book called The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And uh, this is our final week in that book. In order to pursue holiness, we have to look at Christ constantly like we just sang about. We have to learn the proper relationship between discipline and dependence. Remember the the uh, two wings of the airplane approach. We have to balance those two things out. Discipline and dependence. We are responsible for a certain amount of things that God has told us to do, and God is responsible for the growth. We can't cause growth in our own spiritual lives just like a farmer can't force growth to happen. They can do all these things to help cultivate growth, but it's ultimately God that does it. It's the same thing that's true in our own Christian lives, and so we have to balance those things. Doing our part, recognizing that we have responsibilities, but also recognizing that we can't do it apart from God. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Additionally, we need to um, we need to make a commitment to holiness. We looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That because of the things that God has done, we have a responsibility to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So we have to commit ourselves to holiness. Sometimes we, we don't go any farther in our Christian lives. We kind of get stunted in our spiritual growth because we haven't made a commitment. We haven't, we haven't really decided that we want to go any further. We just want to be safe from hell. And, uh, of course, Christ says we have to give it all up. We have to be willing to give our all in order to follow Him, in order to be a believer in the first place. And so we have to have a commitment to holiness. That's part of being a Christian. Following that, the next week we looked at uh, the idea that we need to develop Bible-based convictions, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That we are always being influenced either by sinful society or by the Word of God. In order for that metamorphosis process to happen, for us to be changed from one level of glory to the next, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we need to be focusing on our influence, the influence that's necessary from the Scriptures. Because if we're not being influenced by the Scriptures, whether that's being under the sound of of the Word... I'm sorry, Jeff. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Anyone have a red minivan that they want to claim? Have the lights on? Now would be a good time to take care of that. All right, you can you can get up and go whenever you need to for that. All right, thank you, Jared. We have to develop Bible-based convictions because we're always being influenced by our society. We have to make sure that we're being influenced by the Word of God, and that's why we have a we're on a continuum. Okay, we're either being influenced by society or the Word of God, and if we're not working our way up to being influenced by the Bible, we're automatically slipping down into. Uh, being influenced by society. It never works the other way around. No one's ever fallen back into uh, a greater relationship with God. No one's ever just kind of drifted spiritually and ended up more spiritual. You see, we always drift towards ungodliness. 
And so we have to work at it. And as we're applying the Scriptures, we have to make the discipline of choices, right choices. And Bridges argues that we need to make choices, not just big right and wrong choices. Okay, I'm not going to commit adultery over here. I'm not going to commit murder, uh, that sort of thing. But, but little choices. That's where life is made or broken. And the little choices, that's where we live. We're not often faced with the choice of, should I murder my neighbor? Okay, but we are faced with the choice, should I show hatred towards my spouse or my parent or my child or towards this person, uh, another person in the church? Do you see, uh, our life is made up of, of little choices and we need to make right choices. In order to do that, last week we saw that we ought to watch, we have to have the discipline of watching Watching against temptation. And we looked at Matthew 26 where Jesus says, Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And I argued that to watch there means to pray. In order for us to watch, in order for us to guard ourselves against the temptations that are constantly bombarding us from outside and from our sinful nature within, we need to watch. We need to be on guard. We need to pray. And and that's what being alert is all about. So in short, we have a lot of responsibilities, don't we? And all the while, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and give Him the praise for it when we succeed. In order to do that, we have to remind ourselves that our lives as Christians are not performance-driven in order to earn favor with God. You realize that you could never earn one of favor with God. Why did God initially look with favor on you? Was it because of something that you did? Was it because of some great things that you had done? Titus 3 says, no, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, God's mercy, He saved us. And how did He do that? He did it through Jesus Christ. So the reason that we we initially stand with favor before God is not because of us. It's because of Jesus Christ. And that same thing is true throughout our spiritual life. Bridges began his book by talking about the good day, bad day syndrome. You know, we feel like we're, we're, uh, we're able to witness better if we have a good day. If I've done all, okay, I did my Bible reading, I did my prayer, I did all these things. I haven't, you know, blown up at my at someone in my family or something, and now I get to this point where I have this witnessing opportunity, now I have a better opportunity to witness. And Bridget says, no. The only reason that there's going to be any power in your witnessing is because of the grace of God. And in the same way, if we have a bad day, okay, we, ha- we, we blew up here, we had a problem at work, we, we, we just lost it here, and, and whatever, we get to the point of we have an opportunity to witness Do we feel we have a better opportunity now? A better chance to see some power? No. Because still, whether we were good or bad, it's all based on Jesus Christ, not us. And so the point is, we can't be performance-based. In other words, I have to do a certain amount of things in order order for God to show me favor. Why does God show me favor? Remind ourselves frequently about that. God shows me favor... Because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Alright? So, the reason that we do all these things, though, that doesn't mean we simply slump and do nothing. 
The reason that we do all these things is because these are the means by which God uh, takes us through the process of metamorphosis. This is the process by which He is changing us. So so we, we participate in this process because it's the means by which God does these things. So the disciplines that we've been primarily talking about so far are these over here that are our responsibilities. Discipline of commitment and choices and uh, watching and so on. Tonight we're going to talk about a discipline that is actually outside of us, that God imposes on us, we could say. And that's a discipline of discipline, we could say, or the discipline of adversity. The discipline of adversity. We're going to conclude our study of this book with this final discipline. Hebrews chapter 12. Begin. I'll begin reading in verse 5 and read through verse 11. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The point of this last chapter that Bridges writes is that we ought to accept God's discipline as a means of grace, as a means for God to sanctify us, to change us. All right, the first thing we need to see is in verses 5 and 6, and that is that discipline is good. Discipline is good. All right, look at the first few words of verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation, or as other translations say, the word of encouragement. Okay, and what is that word of encouragement? He goes on at the end of verse 5 and 6 to talk about discipline. So listen to what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Here is a word of encouragement to you. God disciplines you. Now how could discipline possibly be an encouraging word? The answer is, it can be encouraging to us when we know the purpose of the discipline. When we understand the purpose of the discipline, it can be encouraging to us. And what is the purpose? Look at verse 6. It tells us, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And then the second part of verse 6, He scourges every son whom He receives. So here's the word of encouragement to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Any and all adversity that you receive from God is a sign of His love for you. Think about that for a second. Any adversity that you receive is a sign of God's love for you. 
That is the word of encouragement. When you understand the purpose of God's discipline, we'll talk about this more when we see how a father disciplines a son and the purpose behind it. When you start to see the purpose behind it, you recognize that God is doing it because He loves you. All right. Now, there are two warnings that are attached with this encouragement. Verse 5. Okay, you see those in the capital letters there? That's because it's a quotation from the Old Testament. See the second part of verse 5. It says, My son, here's the first warning. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And then the second warning is, do not faint when you are reproved by Him. Okay, so let's look at the first one. Do not take His discipline lightly. Okay, do not regard lightly the, the discipline of the Lord. How could we take God's discipline lightly? Well, consider a rebellious child who is not swayed by his parents' discipline of him. All right, he acts out in rebellion because he loves to rebel, he loves to sin, he loves to disobey his parents. When it's time to discipline, when when it's time for him to receive discipline, what is his goal? Is his goal in receiving that discipline to be able to learn from it and endure and, and to and to be able to be changed by it? Or is it simply, I just need to get through it. I need to grit out this discipline that I'm about to receive. And that's it. And so we can take God's discipline lightly if we're like that rebellious child. We sin, we enjoy our sin, and when trials come, when adversity comes, which is God's hand of discipline, God's hand of loving discipline, when those things come, here's how we can take it lightly. I'm not going to be changed by what you're doing. I'm going to, 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 to hold my ground against what you're doing, and I'm just going to endure so I can get through it. I just want to get to the other side. I want to get out of this discipline, this adversity that I'm going through. And so we don't learn from it. But do you realize that God's discipline is not punishment? God's discipline is not punishment. Okay, well, I'll talk about that later, but, but just think about that for a second. Okay, what, what God is doing in, in discipline is he's, he's trying to change you. He, he's trying to form you. I believe that there are two main reasons for discipline. Okay, in loving discipline, there, there are corrective reasons. We have taken a wrong path and God's correcting us and getting us back on the right path. That's corrective. And then the second reason is formative. We haven't done anything wrong. We could even call it preventative. Say God is forming strength in us. He's building character in us so that when something comes our way, when, when a temptation arises, we're ready to battle it because God has, has strengthened us for that through discipline. So we can take the God's discipline lightly by simply trying to get through it instead of learning from it. Secondly, we can take God's discipline lightly by failing to see that God's hand is in our discipline. We, we receive some adversity and we write it off as chance or just a coincidence. That just came about. I'm, I'm just another human being on this huge globe full of people and that could have happened to anybody. It's not God doing that. And so we write it off as just chance. And I would argue that that would be taking God's discipline lightly as we see in verse 5. 
We can't do that. We have to recognize that all adversity ultimately comes from God. Turn to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Before Isaiah and after Psalms and Proverbs, somewhere in there. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 7. Look at verse 13 in your Bibles. Chapter 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what He has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Okay, what is what is Solomon talking about there at the end of verse 14? God has made the one as well as the other. Well, what did he just finish talking about? The beginning of verse 14 tells us a day of prosperity or a day of adversity. So God has made the day of prosperity. We we constantly do this. We say, yeah, that's from God. God allowed me to have to get this job or to 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 see this great advance in my my relationship with my family or whatever. But then when adversity comes, we say, no, that wasn't God, that was Satan. And there is a sense in which those both could be true, that God allows Satan to bring these difficult circumstances in our lives. But but we have to admit that the, the adversity comes from God. That's what Ecclesiastes says. God has made one as well as the other. You can turn back to Hebrews chapter 12, and as you do, I'll read some more passages that that I think prove this point. Isaiah 45, verse 7 says, The one forming light, that is God, and creating darkness, He causes well-being and creates calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. God creates calamity. God is behind difficulty, adversity, ultimately. Lamentations 3, 37 and 38. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? If something happened, did not God do it? Did not God, was not God behind it in some way? Otherwise, what we're left to believe is that God is on one side of the universe and Satan's on the other side. All the bad things are, are being controlled by Satan and God hopefully can overpower him. And that's not, that's not the way it goes at all. In fact, Satan's universe is inside of God's universe. So the calamity that he brings is ultimately brought about by God. Amos chapter 3, verse 6, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Perhaps the most famous example from the Old Testament is Job. Chapter 1, verse 22, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return, Job said after his initial round of trial. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. The Lord has taken away. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, you say, well, Job must have been wrong in saying that. How could Job say that? The Lord took away. It was Satan who took it away. And there was a sense in that which that was true, but ultimately it was the Lord 
And we know that's true because of the next verse. It says, Though through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. God is behind adversity. And so I would say that we can take the discipline of God lightly by saying that it was just coincidence or it wasn't God's hand involved. What Hebrews is telling us is that adversity ultimately comes from God and it's always done out of love. Think about the story of Joseph in Genesis where when we look at that story initially we think, how could all these bad things happen to Joseph? But when we get to the end of the story, we recognize that these were actually meant to be good things. That in God's big scheme, God's big plan, it turned out for good. It, was, it turned out for the salvation of Israel. And it required Joseph to go through some difficult trials, some difficult adversity. Many years alone. So the first way that that the first warning that we have to be careful about is taking discipline lightly. The second is found in the second part of verse 5. At the very end, actually, it says, nor faint, we could supply the words, do not, do not faint when you are reproved by Him. Do not faint when you are reproved by Him. Or in other words, don't faint, don't lose heart, don't grow weary when you are disciplined. Now, why would we grow weary from discipline? Perhaps because we feel like we're being bombarded from God. Perhaps we feel like the child who every single thing we do, our Father is always coming down on us. He's harping on us. He, he, he's, he's bringing down a, a punishment on us. And he, He's doing it out, out of anger. We can do the same thing with God. We, we begin to grow weary under His discipline. Because we don't see His loving hand in it. We think that He's doing it out of spite or out of anger or out of retribution or judgment or punishment. And what we don't see, what we're seeing are the, are the things around us. The, the, the things of this earth have not become strangely dim. They've actually become strangely bright. Because we, we don't have eternal perspective. And so all this adversity seems like God's dumping on us. Right? Have you been there? And that's, that's a warning in which the writer of Hebrews tells us to guard against. So when adversity comes, we have to be careful about viewing it as punishment. See, God does not punish you if you're a believer. Punishment involves a penalty for a crime that you've committed, for a wrong that you've done. But if you're in Christ, hasn't Christ already paid that penalty? Hasn't Christ paid for your sins past, present, and future? And we should all say, yes, He has. He's taken your punishment for you. So when God brings adversity on you, He's not punishing you. He's not putting you in solitary confinement. He's not giving you a, a, a life sentence. This is how you're going to have to live for the rest of your life on the earth because you disobeyed me. That's not our God. God did that to Jesus Christ by turning His back on Him 
by pouring the sin of us, of the whole world, on Jesus Christ. And so when adversity comes your way, it comes from the hand of a loving Father, not from the hand of a judge, if you are a believer. And He always does it for corrective purposes or formative purposes. To get you on the right path or to form you to, a, to, to be a better person. You see, Satan wants you to believe that God is angry with you. Satan wants you to think that God is disciplining you out of his wrath. But that is why Jerry Bridges reminds us in chapter 2 of his book, preach the gospel to yourself every day. As a believer, you need to be reminded about the gospel. Reminded that Jesus has already taken your place. Don't be weighted down by your sin. Recognize the, the weight of it, yes, but that Jesus Christ took that weight upon Himself. That's why we need to be reminded about the Gospel every day. So the first thing we see in Hebrews 12 is that discipline is good. The second thing is found in verses 7 and 8, and that is all hardship is discipline. All hardship is discipline, verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. All hardship is discipline. Look at the first part of verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. What kind of discipline? What kind of hardship? Well, there's no adjective there, is there? It says, for discipline you endure. In other translations it says, endure hardship. So we can say, what kind of hardship should we endure? We understand that there should be a word that should be included there before discipline or before hardship. For example, if you were told by your parents to clean your room, which part of the room were they talking about? Were they talking about the dresser? The bed only? Or only the closet? Just the, the floor near the desk? What, what were they talking about when they said, clean your room? Okay, can't we supply the word all in there? Clean all of your room. That's the implied idea there. And I think we could say the same thing here in verse 7. It is for all discipline that, is, that you endure. In other words, all the discipline that you receive, you must endure. We need to endure all hardship. Recognize that all adversity is discipline. And if that's true, then does that, that doesn't that mean that all hardship is a result of something? One thing we need to be careful about is is taking the discipline that we're receiving, the, the hardship that's come in our life, the trial, and tying it to specific sin. Okay? I've got this physical infirmity. I've got this problem at work. I've got this problem in my family. And it's because of some specific sin that I did. Wasn't that the problem with Job's three friends? They didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand. They were trying to speak on behalf of God in Job's life where God hadn't spoken. That, Job, you must have done something. If God's pouring out His, his hardship on you, then something you must have done something, Job. You must be doing something. What is it? Of course, Job claimed his innocence and was vindicated at the end. 
Remember, God has a two-part purpose in your discipline, either corrective or formative. It very well could be because of some sin that you have done, that God is allowing, lovingly bringing this discipline to your life to help correct you. And wouldn't that be what a loving father would do to his son? That when he saw him going the wrong way, that he would correct him? Okay, those who don't discipline, Proverbs say, those who don't discipline their sons, their, their children, they hate their children. Right? Because they let them go into danger. They're not forming them. They're not correcting them. And so the loving, most loving thing that God can do, you, do to you when you sin is to help correct you. And sometimes He does that through adversity. The other reason He disciplines you is, for, is to form you. And isn't that how your father disciplined you? He helped form you through discipline. Now, it always wasn't with a whipping of some kind, right? Sometimes he disciplined you to do work. Okay? Like maybe during your spring break or during your summer break, he made you work. Now, that wasn't you know, putting you over his knee and whipping you, but that was still discipline, wasn't it? And it wasn't corrective either. When he's telling you to do work, he's trying to form something in you, wasn't he? He's trying to develop a work ethic in you, to develop responsibility and an appreciation for what you have. And God does the same thing. Not all of our the, the adversity we, we receive is a result of our specific sins. Sometimes God could simply be just trying to form us, to shape us. Now, how can we tell what God's doing? How can we tell if it's because of a specific sin or if God is just forming us? Well, we certainly have the Holy Spirit and we have prayer. God says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. So when difficulty comes, our first thought should be, God, is there any sin that I need to repent of? Is there something in my life? And now that doesn't mean when someone else receives some adversity, you need to go tell them that. Okay, are there are there any sins in your life? That's the most tactless thing you could possibly do. What happens in adversity is that God, I believe, automatically within believers signals to them that there could be a possibility of sin. But we can't tie their adversity to sin, especially when we're on the outside. Now, when we're going through adversity ourselves, we should ask that question of ourselves. God, why are you doing this? Is there something I need to change? Is there some sin that needs to come to the light and I need to, to repent of? You see, gold is refined through fire and God purifies and strengthens us through the fires of testing. All discipline is good. All hardship is discipline. And so verse 9 tells us that we must submit to discipline. Verse 9. Furthermore, we, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The writer of Hebrews says, We all had fathers that di disciplined us. And although at the time we may not have respected them for it, we may not have seen their purpose in it, as we got older, we started to respect them, didn't we? And perhaps we even thanked them for disciplining us because 
maybe we looked at ourselves and we looked at someone else who wasn't disciplined and we saw the, the pitfalls that they were that they were um, that they were falling into. And so we looked back and saw that the only reason that that we were as we are is because of our father's discipline for us. And so we thank them. We we start to see the value of it as we get older. And even though we look with favor on our father's discipline, weren't there times when our fathers disciplined us out of anger? Weren't there times when our fathers disciplined us wrongly or out of impatience? And here's the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make. Look at verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Your father disciplined you. And over time, you respected them them, even though they did it as seemed best to them, meaning they didn't always do it perfectly. We still respected them, even though they didn't do it perfectly. And so here's the argument in verse 9. It is an argument from lesser to greater. Here it is. We respect our Father even though they, they disciplined us imperfectly. We respect them. Look at verse 9. How much more should we respect our Heavenly Father who always disciplines us perfectly? Do you see? We see that not only does God have a good purpose in it, He's trying to change us. But He's also always doing it in a right way. Always considering our best interests. His best interests ultimately but our best good, which is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So if we respect our fathers who are imperfect, how much more should we respect our Heavenly Father who is always perfect? And so that means that we must submit to God's discipline. We must submit to God's discipline. And I can put this in a command, even though in verse 9 it's put in the form of a question. And I think he does that in order to drive home the point. Isn't it true, he's saying, that we should submit to God's discipline? Now, how do we do that? Well, we already saw that verse 5, we can't take God's discipline lightly. And we can't faint under it. We can't grow weary under God's discipline. But here's a couple other ways we can submit to God's discipline. And that is don't become angry with God when hardship comes into your life. Have you ever met a Christian who is ready to abandon ship once trials came? And even worse, when trials stayed? Have you ever met a Christian that was ready to... I'm, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. Is God really out there? And admittedly, we don't know exactly what they're going through, right? We haven't been in their shoes. But that is not the way to submit to discipline. Because over time, what that turns into is bitterness towards God. How dare you do this to me after all that I've done for you? You see, instead of seeing him as a loving father, we see him as a malicious landlord that's ready to just come and exact judgment on us. That's not the God we serve. 
our God is a loving God. He always brings our discipline, His discipline for us, for our good. You know, to submit, the idea of submission means to give your contrary opinions to the will of another. To give your contrary opinions to the will of another. So that means when it comes to submitting to God's discipline, when we don't see the value of His hardship, we say to God, God, I don't see what you're doing. If I were you, I would do it a different way. But because you are God and I am not, I'm going to submit to the hardship that you've brought in my life. That's what submitting means. I'm, I'm giving my contrary view to you. I'm letting you take it. You handle it. You do it as you please. And I'm, I'm happy to accept your discipline because it's from you, my loving Father. So we submit to God's discipline by not becoming angry. We recognize that God is showing love to us. Now that doesn't mean that we can't pray for relief. That doesn't mean that we should always have a happy face throughout all of our trials. That certainly wasn't the temperament of Jesus during His trial, was it? He prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But you know how he finished that prayer? But not my will, but yours be done. In other words, not my desire, but ultimately yours. I don't see what you're doing in this this trial, this adversity. I, I can't see the end. But I know that you are God, and I'm happy to submit to you because you are a loving Father. Sometimes God simply allows hardship so that our dependence in Him will grow stronger. And haven't you seen that in adversity in your life? When, when things are chaotic, when things are beyond your control, beyond your handle, all you can do is grab onto God and hold. God, I, I don't know what to do. And so you pray more. You, you search the Scriptures more. That's a good thing. Verses 10 and 11, the goal of adversity, the goal. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. There's one singular goal, but it's shown in two different ways. The first we see it first of all at the end of verse 10. They disciplined for uh, us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that, or so that, we may share in His holiness. What's God doing in the adversity that's come into your life? God is doing it for your good so that you can share in His holiness. And isn't that what Romans eight twenty-eight and 29 say? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called. And then verse 29, all those whom He has called, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. What is God doing in my adversity? Hey, what is God doing? What was God doing with Joseph? Wasn't He conforming him to His character? For us, it's Jesus Christ now that He's been revealed. God is causing all things to work together for your good so that you will be, verse 29, conformed to the image of Christ. 
the process of metamorphosis. That's what God's doing. So our good is to share in God's holiness, and that that's what God's doing in us when tra- when trial comes. There are no random events in your life. There are no chance accidents. They all work together to bring you closer to the holiness of God, the holiness that God loves. Verse 11 tells us the goal again in a different way. At the end of verse 11, it says it produces in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is essentially the same thing as sharing in His holiness. Um, James says that the testing of our faith produces patience, and when patience is finished, it, it, it uh, produces maturity. James 1, 2-5. through 5. This process will not be changed in this lifetime. It's going to take time. It's going to be a continual process. You're never going to get away from adversity. It will always come in one form or another. And if you're not going through one right now, I'm afraid to tell you that you will. But when it comes, you can know that God is making you more holy through it. He's seeking to make you more holy through it. He's doing it out of love. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because... No matter how hard your adversity becomes, no matter how hard it is in the middle of your trial, you ought to have one thing in mind. And it's the same thing that Paul had in mind. When he when he thought of his adversity in light of of the next life. Look at Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen. Therefore we do not lose heart. Isn't that doesn't that sound familiar? The word for faint, the same word for faint there in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Don't faint under the, the discipline of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our, our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If you were to pile up all the hardships that you receive in this life and put them on a scale, Paul would say they are momentary and light. They're like the dust on the scale compared to the eternal weight of glory. We, we may not see that right now, but that's what faith requires us to do. We need to see with an eternal perspective, with a different lens, then we currently see things. And when we get to the next life, we will look back on all those trials, all those hardships, the adversity, the, the, the drudgery it was at times, and we'll say it was momentary and light compared to the weight of glory that comes through following Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that current hardships are fun or easy. But that means that we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Those momentary and light afflictions, those afflictions that seem big will be momentary and light. So in order to be disciplined by grace, let me just summarize what we talked about for all 13 of these weeks. We have to get away from a performance-based discipline. When I do bad, I earn God's disfavor. When I do good, I earn God's favor. 
Okay, we have to understand that all the favor that we have before God is not because of merit, not because of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercy, because of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to continually preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That doesn't mean we need to have our initial conversion every day. We get saved once it's done. But we need to remind ourselves about the gospel. It's not just for unbelievers. The gospel is for believers as well. And we can only love the Father who disciplines us when we realize that every, everything we receive is far more than we deserve. Put things in perspective for yourself. Recognize that everything that you receive is far more than you reserve, deserve. No one wants to receive what they deserve from God. No one wants to receive what they deserve from God because that would be an immediate judgment in hell. An immediate and final judgment in hell. That's what we deserve. So everything else that you get in this life is grace. Even the trials. So when hardship comes, we should never ask, what did I deserve? What did I do to deserve such bad treatment from God? Instead, recognize that this is the grace of God, that God's grace is sufficient for me. Most gladly, therefore, will I will I glory in my trial and my weakness, so that the power of Christ will excel in me. And if disciplining yourself for godliness is a duty for you, then you have to remember that God accepts you on the basis of Christ's love, of Christ's sacrifice, not Christ plus your works. Okay, God didn't need you in order to secure your salvation. He didn't need you. He needed Christ and Christ alone. He doesn't need Christ plus your works. So don't think, okay, well, Christ did something but I have to secure it by making sure that I continue to do something. Keep looking to Christ. He was enough. And when you see that, when you see that you didn't deserve it, when you see you deserved hell, then your life becomes a joy and the duty is turned into delight. And that's why we have to remind ourselves about the grace of God and salvation. And we should press on to become holy as He is holy. Let's pray. Our Father, there are times when we are weary from this life, from the struggle that goes on, and we don't want to minimize the trials that people are going through in this life. I don't want to do that. Christ recognized what these felt like. He went through many of the same things that we did. In fact, He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He, he felt the, the weaknesses that we feel. And He knows the infirmities. And so we don't want to minimize those things, but we do want to maximize the glory which is to come. We do want to maximize the, the grace that You have shown us in salvation. And that is why the very least we can do, the most reasonable act of worship for us would be to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice no matter how hard 
it becomes in this life. We're happy to do it because sure beats what we deserve. So we're thankful for sparing sparing us from Your wrath by pouring it out upon Jesus Christ in our place. Help us to remind, to be reminded of that daily. Help us as a church to to help each other, to encourage one another with those same truths. And help those who are currently going through deep trial to be able to see You, to see Jesus Christ, to see the glory which is to come, to get their eyes off of their circumstances, off of the waves that are crashing all around, and on Jesus Christ. And may You be glorified in our response as individuals and as a church as we seek to move from one level of glory to the next through Your grace. We can't be changed unless You do the work, unless You cause the growth. And so we look for You to do that. But we don't shrink back from our responsibility. We know we have responsibilities to do, so we ask for Your help as we do them. We praise You for Your grace and Your continual watch over us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.